So you have a different view out your window. The view has changed. I know a number of people have been concerned about what's actually going on over there. Um, When I was walking out of my room uh, to come over to the meditation hall just a little bit later than when you had started, I heard an explosion. So that's what made me look up. I probably wouldn't have looked up. Um, But then I went down to get one of the cooks and we took a ride out to the Sir Francis Drake to see what was going on because I was first concerned that there might have been something on our land. And what we saw was that there's a, a, across the street from Sir Francis Drake, there is a, a house, a structure in the middle of the hill that's burning. And um, it's quite far, it's in Woodacre. And by the time we were there, there were already the fire trucks and uh, there's probably six or seven or more from the sounds of all the sirens and it's still going. So the, the fire trucks are still there. So there's not any danger. It, it looks like it's uh, more contained now than it was um, 40 minutes ago. So if, uh, if you're concerned about the fire spreading, we're not, we're not in any danger. Mostly, too, we would be concerned because this is our driest time of the year, and, and it is a bit of a tinderbox out there, really. So I can understand how people would be worried about uh, the uh, spreading fire that way. But um, that's all that we know at the moment, that it is a structure. It is, it's probably a home. And so we just want to send any uh, loving kindness and uh, uh, real extend our care to anyone who may have been uh, caught in the fire. We don't know that yet, or just the loss of, of, the, of the structure and the land. So just want to hold that in our, in our hearts as we sit here and notice that that uh, smoke is still rising in the air. So it's interesting, too, because tonight I wanted to talk about uncertainty. <laughs> and a little bit taking off from Howie's talk last night about this a law of change. Howie, his beautiful, beautiful Dharma talk last night where he covered so many different points of the Dharma, of the Buddha's teachings. And one of the themes that was running through was this theme of anicca or impermanence, this uh, law of change, which is also the law of becoming, which I'll talk more about tonight. But what we really find and what we see on our, even when we're here looking at our heart and our mind, we see, and how he was speaking about this, you know, really how we, we so easily lean into some kind of idea or fantasy about what we want to have happen rather than be able to fully settle into our experience as it is. And that tendency to lean, which really comes through some kind of belief or some kind of idea that what is going to make us happy or what is going to bring us the security is over there, whatever that thing is. And we can see it very much in our meditation uh, experiences where 
the experience we're having often doesn't feel like enough. It doesn't feel like the right experience. There surely must be more than this. This can't be it. (laughs) And yet what we keep saying to you is this is it. You know, like this is, this, this is as good as it gets, like right here, you know, so let's open to it. This, this, this is what we've got. This is all we've got. And so what we see, what we see is that tendency, a very strong tendency of the mind to lean out. How he's speaking about this, this leaning out to that thing that's going to do it for us. That's going to bring that lasting fulfillment because it isn't here, right? It's not happening here. It must be over there. And it's so interesting how we can construct our whole world out of those ideas, moment to moment to moment, that it's over there. And it becomes a whole ideology. It becomes a whole world construction that somehow I've got to get over there or to that destination or to that goal or to that experience or to that relationship or that environment or situation. I mean, whatever whatever it is, mind state or emotion, experience. The mind is the ceaselessly spinning out new ideas, new ideas. It seems like that's what the mind does. It's always engaged in this wanting or this movement. I remember this experience um, once when I was on a three-month retreat, one of the number of three-month retreats that I've done, we've all done, um, at the Insight Meditation Society. And downstairs, in the, they had a basement. And in those days, um, we were still kind of like pretty ascetic and the rugs were kind of, you know, old rugs and, you know, just whoever hand-me-downs, you know, whoever could kind of give us rugs to put on the floors. And I was doing my walking meditation down in the basement. There was one rug that I was doing my walking meditation on. And I like, you know, we all have our own little tendencies and I like walking along some kind of indication of a straight line. You know, I just like, it just, I like straight lines, (laughs) just part of my personality. So I was walking on the edge of the rug just because, you know, the rug started here and ended there and it had a line. And so I walked along this edge of this rug and it just sort of helps me stay put. But the other rug was just about two feet away. It had a wooden linoleum floor and then the other rug was there. So I'm just minding my own business, you know, walking back and forth, doing my walking meditation as well as I can, feeling my feet and, you know, feeling the present moment. And then my mind just looks at the other rug. And I thought, oh, I like that rug better. (laughs) It would be better to do my walking meditation along that rug. And so I'm just really minding my own business and that thought just started to become really obsessive. Like, I really need to be on that other rug. It's prettier, it's newer, it's cleaner, (laughs) And it just would be better, my walking meditation would be a whole lot better if I was two feet over on the other rug. And it was just so interesting because I had enough mindfulness and enough concentration at that point, halfway into the retreat, six weeks or seven weeks or so, 
I could just see my mind start getting so obsessive about, you know, needing to be on the other rug, and I would be so much happier. I would just, it would make my day. (laughs) And, And so this is what can happen as we're in these meditative worlds, is like these little things, they seem like they're little and sometimes they seem like they're silly, but they become so important, so big. We actually call that yogi mind. We have a name for it, and you know, when the mind just gets obsessive about things that it would never obsess about <laughs> in our daily life, but we kind of don't have anything else to obsess about, you know? <laughs> so, so <laughs> because things start to recede, you know, we sort of forget about the things that happened last week or, you know, a month ago, and then these little things become so important. So it was just this very, very wonderful thing for me to really, really notice this tendency and how strong that obsession could get. And then the kind of the discipline, really, that it takes not to feed it, not to follow it, not to believe it, not to buy into it. That somehow, I mean, easily I could have just hopped over (laughs) and then, you know, maybe had that sense of, ah, Oh, isn't it wonderful? You know, this feels so good. Now I'm so happy to be walking on this rug. And, and, and that's what happens for us, that we actually can feel that relief. We finally get what we want. And it feels like, ah, oh, we can finally relax. It's a kind of a letting go because we think that the thing actually gave us some fulfillment. But what's truly happening is that we're no longer caught in that obsession. We're no longer caught in the desire. And it's the release of the desire that's actually given us peace. It's not having gotten that thing. But because we don't really understand what's going on, we think it's the thing, whether it's the, uh, the food or the drug or the drink or the... Uh, whatever it is that we think is going to do it for us, we feel that relief, but it's just because that desire has released. That's where the peace comes. The peace always comes from the release of the the clinging, the release of of the craving, of the grasping. So we can start to, we start to see that and we understand more and more that these things that we take refuge in, that we think this is it, this is going to do it for us. But it's, as Howie was saying, it's unreliable because conditions are always changing. Had I been on that rug, yeah, I would have been happy for a while maybe, but what happens? Well, then I'm starting to get bored. Uh, you know, it's like I've been already walking for 45 minutes. Like, I don't want to just keep walking. So I'm going to leave the rug. <laughs> you know, the rug isn't going to go with me, right? It's not my security blanket, you know, or I get hungry. I've got to go, or I get thirsty, or I have to go pee, or, you know, something's going to bring about some change. It's not going to last. So these conditions are always changing. Just like here, when you're meditating, 
there may be a wonderful experience arising for a while, but then the bell rings or you, you get restless or you start thinking about other things. It changes. The conditions are constantly changing. So the Buddha said, to take what is impermanent to be permanent is wrong view. To take what is impermanent as permanent is wrong view. And the reason it's wrong view is because we're not seeing things clearly. Whatever we take to be permanent, thinking that it's going to last or it's going to give us that security or it's solid in some way or something's intact, whatever it is, if we think that, we're going to feel the pain when that thing starts to change or break up. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's our body, this body, you know, as soon as we are about, what, about 19, 20 years old, that's it, you've peaked. <laughs> it's all downhill from there. You know? Everything just starts breaking down, you know? And so, you know, and, but yet we're so surprised by this. I think, you know, so there's a physical peak about 26 or 27, you know, and then it's just down, you know? But it's like, it's, it's always like, what's happening? Why, are, why, is, why am I aging? You know, why am I getting older? It's such a surprise. But this is what we call the Dharma. The Dharma means a lo- the law or the truth or the way things are. The Dharma, the way things are, which is the law, the law of things or the order of things, the truth of things. So when we talk about seeing clearly, we're seeing, seeing clearly into the Dharma, seeing clearly the nature of reality, seeing clearly the way things are. And as we see that things that we're holding on to, you know, we hold on really tight, but it's, we're losing our grip. It's just we can't hold on to it. And when we try, we feel the pain and the suffering of that. Perhaps we can wake up and say, oh, yeah, you know, things always change. That's the nature of this, of, of things, of existence. We can't hold on to anything. So you see that, you know, and, and, I, and we talk, one of the wonderful things about talking about this when you've been sitting in retreat for three days now, is your mind may be quiet enough or clear enough, there may be some stillness where you can actually start to see for yourself the changing conditions, either whether it's in a short period of time or a longer period of time. I mean, if you think right now about all the different mind states that you've been in today, from the time you woke up in the morning till now, my sense is you've been through a lot. (laughs) A lot's happened today, you know? Even though you're just sitting and walking and sitting and walking and, and being very, very simple, a lot has gone on, like worlds, like eons of drama and thoughts and emotions and experiences. They just keep changing. And not only changing, but then turning into something else. This kind of, of morphing. You know, this wonderful word, which I think is a, you know, a fairly new word, this 
Morphing, which is, I think, came out of the... Um, uh, one of the way, places it came out of is the, the, the movie industry where it's a, a word that has to do with the special effects where the, there, an image can change very elegantly right into another image so that you can barely tell what's actually happening. But there's just a change. You know, I mean, I think the... I've never seen the movie The Terminator, but <laughs> if there's anybody out there <laughs> who has seen the Terminator, I've seen, you know, little clips because of this special effects, you know, just how that the human being could just change and morph into this other being, you know. But this is happening all the time. We are morphing. We are constantly changing in our mind states and our emotions and our, our, the way we look and the way we feel and the way we dress and everything's constantly changing within us. There is a part of us that actually knows this, even though we may still hold on and grasp and try to make things secure and solid. I think that, I think that we all know it in the deepest, deepest part of our being. Otherwise, I don't think we'd be so frightened. I think we just, I think there's a way that we're really, we really feel our vulnerability and we really feel scared. And so we're looking for and trying to hold on to something that's going to stay intact, something that's going to hold together so that we can, we can have some ground, we can have some foundation under our feet so that we can have the sense of, relaxing or settling. You know, if I just know that everything is, is together and controlled and, you know, I know where things are, then I can relax. <laughs> but we know we can't really, right? Especially, I mean, it's so obvious these days, you know, you never, with all the information coming in, if you're on, the me- on electronic media, digital media, there's no way to avoid what's going on. And things are shaking up, really shaking up. There's this poem that I like to read. I just like to read it. It's from Edgar Allan Poe. Who thought that, who would know that Edgar Allan Poe, you know, we study these poets sometimes in school, but who ever thought that he was so deep he said, <laughs> I mean, maybe I wasn't deep enough. <laughs> I think it was more that I wasn't deep enough to know how deep he was. You did. <laughs> so Edgar Allan Poe, he says, I stand amid the roar of a surf-tormented shore, and I hold within my hand grains of the golden sand. How few, Yet how they creep through my fingers to the deep while I weep, while I weep. Oh God, can I not grasp them with a tighter clasp? Oh God, can I not save one from the pitiless wave? Is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream? Can I not grasp one with a tighter clasp? save one from the pitiless wave, is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream. What can we hold on to 
What can we hold? When we let it in and what we do when we come and we practice and we pay attention, we look at things just as they are, we can begin to feel that unsettledness. We feel our vulnerability because we also recognize that it's this who we take ourselves to be, the way we have solidified and identify with ourselves as solid, you know, and fixed that this isn't going to change. But when it does, it's like, oh, you know. But we start to see it. We start to face the reality, the truth, the Dharma, the law. We let it in. We start to feel that unsettledness. We, We feel some of that vulnerability. It's like, whoa. You know, things seem out of control. This is from a column from uh, one of the magazines I get, uh, The Week. And uh, it was last year, but it things, maybe things don't change that much, you know. <laughs> Americans are smiling less and worrying more. A new uh, Gallup uh, well-being index shows that happiness is down and sadness is up. And that anxious Americans are smoking more and sleeping less. The obvious explanation is the recession. But most middle class Americans have more luxury goods, food, and money than their grandparents ever did, and they didn't live in an unremitting funk. <laughs> Our real problem is not a lack of money, it's uncertainty. Caught somewhere between a recession and a recovery, we don't know if stocks are rising or falling or whether we'll still be employed next week. And it goes on to say, people feel worse when something bad might occur than when something bad will occur. It isn't a matter of insufficient funds. It's a matter of insufficient certainty. Isn't that interesting? We'd rather know than not know. It's that uncertainty that starts to cause that anxiety, that unsettledness, that restlessness. I was thinking about that in terms of the, of the, uh, the smoke, because for a while you didn't know what it was. It was just this very big plume of smoke And who knew where it was? It could be close, it could be far. You didn't know. And that not knowing feeds into that restlessness, that anxiety, that unsettledness. And then when you know, when you actually start having some information about what's happening, it's like, oh yeah, okay, it's better now. We know that it's contained, we know it's over there, I can relax. It's that not knowing that really gets us because it's, we're not comfortable for the most part. We're not comfortable with the not knowing, with the uncertainty. But yet we know, it's funny, we know at the same time that what can we clasp onto? What can we really grab onto? One time I was walking in the yurt and I told Jack Hornfield, Jack Hornfield, is around here a lot, and I was just telling him something about what I found out about some friend who just had a diagnosis, and Jack just said, the winds of karma change like the swish of a horse's tail. The winds of karma change like the swish of a horse's tail. 
And it was just like that. It's like the swish of a horse's tail. And, it, and I, felt, I felt that with that, like I'm walking out the sky, you know, this beautiful blue, clear sky for a few days, and then, what's that? Swish of a horse's tail. Just how things change. Some of you know that I go to New Zealand. I, I've been going there um, to teach for a long time, about 16 or 17 years now. Wonderful opportunity. I'm so happy that I get to go there. It's such an amazing place. And um, uh, last year in, I think it was November, many of you may know that there was a very, uh, a very major earthquake that happened there in Christchurch, in the South Island. And um, there, the first earthquake that happened around November was a 7.1, but Christchurch is actually one of the cities that is, is uh, noted for its uh, um, construction around earthquakes. It's, it's, it's one of the places where it's studied, and uh, they did such a wonderful job uh, building the city that the 7.1 hardly did any damage. And then yet what happened was that there were these constant, um, uh, uh, what do you call them? Aftershocks. aftershocks. Just constant. And, and every day there were three or four aftershocks and it just kept going and going for months actually. They just, the ripples and the ripples and the ripples. So these, the, the people who were living in Christchurch were just living with the earth just being very insecure unstable, you know, no stability. And then, and yet it was just these after, you know, just the shaking and the shaking. And then in February, there was a 4.2 or 4.7, and it practically devastated the downtown of Christchurch and many, many outlying houses and the suburbs and the infrastructure and really, really terrible. And even though it was a smaller uh, earthquake, because so much had been shaken for months, the the, earth, the uh, buildings couldn't sustain it, and so the whole center of the town crumbled, and all the roads and a lot of the bridges, and and so I have some very good friends who live there, and so she's been writing um, every week or so just what's been happening there, and in April I received this note from her. And she said, we had a dramatic happening last week when a hole opened up at the end of our driveway. The hole was about the size of an adult foot, but when you looked down, there was no ground underneath as far as the eye could see. They had this liquefying of the, of the, of the soil, of the earth. It would just liquefy so, so through the shaking and the moving so there, there wasn't the solid earth it would just break up, and then there were these holes. So she said, by the end of the day, it was two adult feet long and a bit wider, still no ground underneath to be seen. When I spoke to the council, they said they expect to see lots of these holes opening up over the winter, as so much soil has been lost from down there. By day three, the hole was about four feet in length and two feet wide, and still we could not see where it ended under the ground in any direction. It was very dramatic, (laughs) and we had to close off the pavement. 
no, no really? <laughs> Luckily, the council came that day and poured a truckload of gravel in so we could actually drive our car up. Now, a week later, the hole has sunk sunk again, but at least we know there's some gravel underneath, so there shouldn't be an immediate collapse, and we can still drive over it for the moment. So it's just, it's just remarkable, you know, that at least we, we, we feel that, you know, at least the ground is secure, right? At least that's secure. That's not going to change. That's not going to shift. But then there's, you know, what's happening in Christchurch goes on and on. Three weeks later, she writes, well, <laughs> the hole just kept getting bigger and deeper again, despite the tons of gravel that were shoveled down there. On Sunday, we stuck a broom under the ground to see how far under our driveway it went. Well, we didn't touch ground. And the broom disappeared at the end of my son's arm. In the meantime, the councilmen came, shook their heads and said, Nah, it needs a digger. So the digger came today and dug out a great big chunk of our driveway, filled it with gravel. We can now drive up the driveway again. For the time being, anyhow, the guy said it's likely to subside again and said, just keep calling us and we'll come out and fill it again. (laughs) You know, so... (laughs) So changes, right? What's... Where's the security? Where's the stability? You know, so the Dharma, the truth, the law, the order of... Things, the nature of this existence. There is nothing permanent. To take that which is permanent, to take that which is impermanent as permanent is wrong view. It's not seeing things clearly. Whether it's outer, whether it's inner, our own mind, body, feelings, emotions, thoughts, whatever it is, out there, everything in constant flux. So we live with this, you know, we live with this uncertainty. But the question for us is, can we take refuge in this truth? Can we take refuge? This is taking refuge in the Dharma, how we started off the retreat, taking refuge, taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha taking refuge in the fact that we can wake up to our own Buddha wakefulness. We can wake up to the Dharma, to the law, to the way of things. We can let go into that truth and take that as our refuge. Not take all the things of this world as our refuge. Let go. Let go. Let go of holding on to these things that are fleeting. It's all fleeting. But how do we let go? How do we let go? Where do we find that trust enough? You know, how do we trust enough to let go? Because it requires a great deal of trust. It requires a lot to let go. One of my teachers, Sokni Rinpoche, Tibetan teacher, our teachers, says, to let go takes a tiny miracle. I love that. To let go takes a tiny miracle. 
Why does he say that? Why would it take a tiny miracle? The way I understand this is because in truth, and you may not really like hearing this, but in truth, you can't let go. I can't let go. We can't let go. In truth, we can't let go. Letting go is a byproduct of seeing clearly. Letting go is a byproduct of wisdom. We call wisdom when we see things clearly. This is the awakening of wisdom, understanding, clarity, a clear mind. When we see and when we feel directly the pain of holding on to things that are fleeting, things that are changing, and we let that in with our wisdom eye, with our mindfulness, with our awareness, we start to actually allow ourselves to feel the pain, the dukkha of the, of the, of the holding. You know, when we hold tight, I think somebody says it's like rope burn. We get rope burn. You know, it's like, let go of the fist. But we won't do that until we really recognize that it's up to us to wake up to what we're actually holding on to and the way that we're holding on. This is the power of our practice. This is the power of the mindfulness is that we start to let in that the pain of that holding. We start to feel the constriction. We start to feel the way that we're tight and tense and stressed and, and uh, attached and how we don't want things to change. We feel the way we're like leaning in and, and, and needing and grasping and wanting. And we start to feel that somatically, physically, energetically. And then we go, I don't want to do that. Well, I don't want to keep doing that. And then read the recognition that I actually have a choice. I actually have a choice. But that choice only arises, only appears when we see, when we know, when we recognize, which is the awakening of wisdom, the clear seeing, the awakening to the way things are, the awakening to the Dharma. And then letting go happens naturally. Why would we hold on? Why would we keep holding on? We see if we let go, actually, that's the freedom. That's the peace. That's the joy. That's the, rela- that's the, rela- the deep relaxation. It just doesn't make sense anymore. But we can't let go until there's some understanding, until there's some recognition or understanding of that. So the practice, we, start, we keep practicing, we keep paying attention and paying attention. Sometimes we might have the sense, and some people have said, even at the beginning, you know, people who are fairly new to this, who sort of jumped in or dived in, you know, it's like, you sit and you sit and walk and sit and walk, and it's like, what am I doing this for? <laughs> What is the big deal? You know, it's like it's so boring and nothing's happening and, you know, my mind is so busy and, you know. But we just, we say, we say, you know, we're kind of cheerleaders up here. It's just like, keep going, keep going, (laughs) keep going. Because as that 
that, that awareness, the mindfulness starts to get stronger, we start to see. We see the mind. We see and feel what's happening in the body. We recognize the patterns. We feel the, the, the motions that are moving through. And, and as we stay in contact, as we stay in touch with our experience, through the direct contact itself with a wakeful awareness brings understanding naturally. It's, it's, it's the, the law, it's the dharma, that when we are in contact and awake, we recognize something. We come into contact, we are engaged in that way, some understanding arises. It may not be the understanding that you wanted or you may not get the information you wanted, but something gets reflected back. We start, and that's called insight. That's the insight. We start to see things and know things and recognize that we haven't understood before. It's like, ah. It's that kind of, we call insight. It's a, aha. You know, aha. So this new, something new breaks through consciousness a new piece of information, something utterly, radically new cracks through consciousness. And it's a, ah. People, how many people have had that kind of, ah. Yeah, a lot of people. It's like, ah. Seeing something fresh or seeing something you've, in a way you've never seen it before, whether it is even, you know, I've seen some people stooping over and, and looking at the lizards, you know, just really examining the lizards or, you know, looking at, at, the, at, at the trees or the birds or, you know, just even gazing into the, the vast sky and just something's happening. You know, something's happening in the space and just opening to it and letting it in. Something, something new. Because we're out of the way in a way that we haven't been before. We get out of our way. So with wisdom, with this wisdom and this mindfulness, one of the things that we see, one of the, one of the aspects of the Dharma is this law of change. Is the truth, the truth of change. But what, what there is also with this law of change is the corollary law, which is the law of becoming. So the law of change and the law of becoming. Because what we see is that everything is in a process of changing into something else. So as it's changing, it's becoming something else. So we say not only are things changing, but this is the nature of change. The nature of change is that everything is morphing, everything is becoming something else constantly. Bhante Guta, not Guta, Bhante G, Gunaratna, Bhante Gunaratna, Bhante G, we call him, one of the, one of our wonderful elders in our tradition. He says that nothing is but is becoming. Nothing is, but is becoming. What else is there? He says, a ceaseless becoming is the feature of all things. Is the feature of anything in, the na- in this existence has the feature of becoming, of changing. 
this law of change. And this is so close to us because we can just see this when we pay attention to our breath. Because we breathe out, then there's that gap that Howie's talking about. It's, there's the stop. If we really pay attention, we breathe out, then the gap, just this pause, and then the next breath, breathe in, breathe out. It's this beautiful flow. And that's actually the manifestation of all of nature. This out-breath and in-breath, and then the pause, the stillness, the quiet. You see it with the waves, you see it with the, the, the sun and the moon, the dark and the light. All these in and out, the morning, the night, the changes through the day. This is a beautiful manifestation of this law of change. Interesting thing, interestingly, this uh, story about my, f- my friends in New Zealand in one of her emails, I was so struck by this because it's all this drama of this, of this change, this change. And then in one of the emails, she said that the, um, the people of Christchurch were coming together to envision rebuilding and rebuilding a, a top-of-the-line a, a top green city. That this was their opportunity to show the world how to build a green city. And it was like, wow, you know? It's like we think things are so unfortunate, but yet out of everything too, out of everything that's unfortunate comes the potential for something fortunate. So not only is the change changing and then becoming, but it's also, there's always this possibility of some new creation, some creation that has never been created before, right on the, the edge of that, right on the, 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 the breath of that creation. It's every moment we can participate, we do participate in this creative dynamism that is this world that we are, this nature that we are, changing, becoming, creating. This is our nature. This is what's really here for us. Another story to exemplify this. Um, I may have told this on a retreat you've been on, but it, last, last year I was uh, staying with a friend in Canada. I also go up to Canada who manages, his, manages my retreats up there. And we were just about to go to a retreat, so there's a lot to get together. We, we, we rent a venue, so it's a little different than just going to a place that's already set up. So we have to get the whole thing set up. And so there's a lot of things to do. And so she, was, um, she has a kettle, electric kettle, and it's one of those electric kettles that actually sits on... Uh, the electric is a, uh, a base that is plugged in. So the base of the kettle itself is rubber. And so it just sits into the base that is then plugged into the, uh, the electrics. So she was kind of rushing around and she had, was cooking something on the stove. And she just thought, she just forgot for a moment that it was actually an electric kettle. So she put her kettle on the burning, on, a, on one of the burners that was lit, that was on. 
And so a few minutes later, we're <laughs> smelling <laughs> the rubber smoke. You know, the kitchen's kind of filling up with this black smoke. And so the, the kettle's just kind of just <laughs> morphing into, <laughs> into the burner on the stove, right? So now this, the, the kettle is attached to the burner on the stove. And it's like, oh, no, now not only is the kettle ruined, but the stove is ruined, and, you know, and we're just like, oh, no, how unfortunate. And so, you know, we kind of cleaned, kind of tried to get cleaned up the the smoke, kind of opened the windows and everything. And then she had this thought. She said, she's renting, a a renter, and the stove that she had actually had only two burners working, and two burners weren't working. It was an old stove. And she thought, hmm... You know, my landlord's a really good guy. I wonder if he'll get me a new stove because this one's wrecked. And so she called her landlord and told him what happened. And he said, great, your stove was ruined. Anyhow, we'll get you a new stove. So the next day, she had a brand new stove. (laughs) One, I mean, sparkling, you know, all the new things on it. And then she went out and bought a new kettle. (laughs) just like that you know how unfortunate how fortunate how else would she actually have gotten a new stove (laughs) you never we never know you know what's what's working in the mystery right how things just come into being this becoming of a new stove one day a old rickety you know, run-down stove, and the next day, a sparkling new stove. How? In the same spot. You know? So, to let go, you know? To let go into the Dharma, to take refuge in this truth. Take refuge in this truth. And I think that the only way that we really can take that first step into letting go is I think it really begins with a kind of faith. And sometimes faith is a word that a lot of people have some not-so-good associations with. But in this tradition, in the Buddhist tradition, really when we speak of faith, what it means is a trustful confidence. It's a trustful confidence in the way things are. And so when we begin, we may not really be able to see or feel or understand the big picture of of the Dharma, but there's something that's alive in us. There's something that we say, yeah, I just want to follow that or I just want to check it out, you know. Just something feels right to me. And that's the spark of the of the faith or the trustful confidence. It may just be a spark. And we may not even know what to do or where to go or how to nourish that spark or how to feed that. But we just start looking around and we see somebody who seems to kind of know or there's a group of people or there's a book that we read or there's like, oh, I heard about Spirit Rock or, you know, and we just, something, we follow that. Just like that, just a little light, a little flame that's burning in us. Sometimes we call that kind of a, a blind faith where, where, we, where we know it's alive in us, but we're not really sure 
we can't we don't really know what it is that we're moving towards or or what we really want or what we're going after but we know we have to go we have to follow it and then and then we use the resources around us to start to feel a little bit more confident it starts we start to have some experiences we start to have some insight and our faith starts to grow we start to become more trustful and more confident and we call this bright faith that the faith starts to brighten we start to see more clearly with our own eyes and our own experience and we can then start to let go of some of those supports that we had at the beginning we don't need them quite in the same way and then we start to feel more steady more stable more confident we're more more on our own feet in as we're walking the path and then as the confidence builds things really start to wake up for us and we call this a, we start to have what's called a verified faith we know for sure because we've seen it with our own eyes and we don't need anybody to rem- really remind us or to tell us it's like yes i know that's the way it is and in this case yes i know that things change and because i know that i don't hold on in the way that i used to hold on i feel freer i feel more open i feel uh, 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 like more like more things can flow more easily now than they have in the past and we start to feel more and more confidence in our practice there's a phrase in an, in the ancient buddhist text that says realizing as one sees a gem in the palm and this little commentary says if i tell you i have a gem hidden in the folded palm of my hand the question of belief arises because you don't see it for yourself but if i unclench my fist and show you the gem then you see it for yourself and then the question of belief does not arise you don't have to believe it anymore cuz you see it belief arises when there is no seeing the moment you see the question of belief disappears there's just the truth there's just the truth and there's confidence in that truth this is waking up to the dharma waking up to the buddha the awake the awake buddha mind so this is where we begin we we start to feel this faith we start to feel the trust as we walk as we take that step start to feel that more and more and then we can begin to let go sometimes we say we feel this basic trust it's kind of basic for us then it's when we when we we feel something in our bones that i'm okay just feel it in my bones i'm okay or i will be okay no matter what that kind of basic trust and as we open more and more to that sometimes we might call this a kind of recognition of a of a kind of holy perfection we start to sense and to feel the perfection in the order of things this kind of intelligence this intelligence in what we might call the mystery that there's something 
that makes sense. Even though we may not like it or maybe it doesn't make sense to the rational mind, it seems like there's some kind of order here that holds this whole thing together, that holds this whole dreamlike world together. And more and more we let go into that and we can feel supported or held by that truth, by the Dharma, by what we understand or by what we know. A kind of a letting go and a surrendering into that knowing, into that truth. Sometimes it might even feel like you just are being held. You know, you just let go into the arms. Some people say the arms of the beloved or the divine beloved. You know, we, we start to have all of our own language, our own way of understanding this. It becomes very, very personal at this point for us. We want to f- find our own words and our own way to sense and feel into this. And we may not even be able to find words, something that we can't name or can't describe, but yet we know it's true. We know it's real. And we let go into the mystery. So I just want to end with this, um, this little story from uh, Joseph Goldstein, our teacher, our teachers, and... Um, these teachers teacher. And, <laughs> and um, this is one of our favorite kind of images that Joseph brought. It's from his book, um, uh, Insight, uh, uh, Insight Meditation. And he says, Imagine yourself dropping out of an airplane and free-falling for the first few minutes. Imagine the sense of exhilaration but then you realize that you do not have a parachute. So you panic as you fall through space, falling, 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 filled with terror that you do not have a parachute until a certain moment arrives when you realize there is no ground. At that point of understanding, you just enjoy the ride. We wake up to the truth that there is no ground to hit and there is no one to hit it. Just empty phenomena rolling on. This is Joseph's favorite line. Empty phenomena rolling on. Then we feel the great relief of letting go, the deep feeling of equanimity, and the joy of ease. So let's sit together just for a moment.
And these last words from John O'Donohue. I would love to live like a river flows, carried by the surprise of its own unfolding. you very much for your kind attention. And so we have a half an hour for walking. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.